Welcome to Walking by Faith, where we explore the timeless wisdom of the Bible and how it can apply to our lives daily. Our goal is to empower you with the tools you need to grow in your faith journey, and that's why you can access Pastor's Notes in a snap. Download the Walking by Faith app today to follow along. Plus, for more content, visit us on YouTube or Rumble, and be sure to like and subscribe. Ever ask yourself if your faith actually matters? If God hears your prayers? What if I told you there's an answer hidden within the pages of the scriptures? A treasure trove of promises waiting to be claimed. Today, we're embarking on a journey of faith, exploring how knowledge ignites trust, trust unlocks promises, and those promises empower us to face any storm. Let's jump into today's message, Unlocking Faith. Today, uh, I want to talk to you about receiving the promises of God. Uh, so often we, we read our Bible and we see things in the Bible, but we're like, how does that, how do I get that operating in my life? In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20, it says, for all the promises of God, all of them, uh, I don't know how many there are. Uh, people say there's 7,000. That sounds kind of like wild for me. I'd be happy with 1,000. That's a lot. But let me just say this. There is a promise that covers your situation. All right? There is a promise that covers your situation. The Bible says that these promises cover all things that pertain to life. That's your, your, your family, your business, your, your normal life, and godliness, your spiritual life. So all of our needs, whether they're what we would call natural or they're spiritual, all of them are covered by the promises. And all the promises of God are yes and amen in him. Now that's where you are. You are in him. 130 times in the New Testament, in him, in whom, in the beloved, right? When you receive Jesus, you are put in him. So that's where you, you belong. That's where, where you're, you are spiritually. When God looks at the world, he does not see the Japanese, the Chinese, and the Russians, and the Germans, and the Canadians. When God looks at the world, you're either in Christ or in Adam. You're in him. Well, if you're in him, all of God's promises from God's perspective are yes. They belong to you. Now, the way that, 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 that salvation works, it said this way in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Now, it's really important that we understand how grace and faith work together. Some people are just like grace. Well, it's whatever God wants, whatever God wants, whatever God wants. Now, grace does mean it's unmerited, it's undeserved, it's a gift, it's not worked for, right? So in other words, there's the grace side and that's God's side. You did not earn it. You do not, how many of you know what we deserve is hell? That's what we deserve. So there's grace, you've been saved, for by grace you have been saved, but it's through faith. Grace is what God has done. But faith is our response to what God has done. So, so let me just say it like this. 
You cannot get God to do anything he hasn't already done. You've heard people say, faith moves God. No, it doesn't. Faith does not move God. Listen to this. This is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Grace and faith be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So let me just say here, what you know is important. Because faith begins with knowledge. You can't have faith with what you don't, for what you don't know. You can't have faith if you don't know the will of God. As his divine power has given to us, not going to give us, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Life, your natural life. Godliness, your spiritual life. What has been provided? All things. So what Jesus did on the cross in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, he purchased for you and for me all things, all the promises. He has provided them. So when you pray, you don't get God to do something. You say, oh God, save Uncle John. Well, what is Jesus gonna do? Go to the cross again? It's already been done. It's already done. You say, heal Uncle John. Well, what's he gonna do? Go take the stripes again? Because by his stripes, healing was purchased for us. So everything has already been done. So your faith cannot get God to do something that has not already been done. But our faith is a response to what he's already done. So you're saved by grace, what God has already done, but you receive it by faith. So what he's already done takes care of everything for your natural life and your spiritual life. Uh, one really well-known Bible teacher has got a, a, a book and a teaching entitled, You've Already Got It. Because you go to God and say, God, do this. And God's like, I already did. You say, God, do this. And God's like, I already did. And you say, God, do this. And God's like, I already did. All right. You've already got it. And people call up and say, hey, I want that series. You know, you've, and they say, which one? Well, the, 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 the person answering the phone, do you mean that you already got it series? I do. And they're like, I do already have it? Yes, it's, that's the name of the series. You've already got it. But the truth is, everything that you and, not you and I need, we've already got it. It's already been paid for. He has given, not going to, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge. There it is again. Your faith is based on knowledge. Yes, you're saved by grace, but it's through faith, which is based on knowledge. Through the knowledge of him who called us to glory and virtue. Listen, by which we've been given exceeding great and precious promises. So what has been given to us? Exceeding great and precious promises. Now, those promises God's already done, but it's by faith that you and I receive what he has already done. 
that through these, these exceeding great and precious promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. For by grace, unmerited favor, undeserved favor, something you didn't work for, a gift, you've been saved through faith. Listen, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, least anyone should boast. So faith is not works. So often people will come and I just don't understand why God hasn't done this for me. I go to church, I read my Bible, I pay my tithes, I do this, I work in children's church. I know exactly why God hasn't done that for you because you're trying to earn it. It's not of works. It's by grace, unmerited favor, what you do not deserve. And when you try to work for it, you don't receive it because it's not by works, it's by grace through faith, through faith. So, so what we've got to do, we've got to get that knowledge. We've got to get the word of God down on the inside of us. I love what Jeremiah said. He said, your words were found and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. You know, when you find those exceeding great and precious promises, it's like mining gold. We've, you just found something that is incredible, something that is life-changing, something that Jesus purchased for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, listen to this, verse 17. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. Verse 18, I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. Verse, next chapter, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises. See, when you read in the Word of God what God has done for you, the promises. Having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filth and flesh of the Spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. David called these, these, what we now call promises, he called them benefits. Okay? In Psalms 103, he said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What are they? He forgives all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from destruction. He satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. Those are promises. I want to remind you that in Psalms 138 and verse 2, God said this, for you have magnified your word above all your name. You've magnified your word above all of your name. In other words, God has said, if I don't keep my word, I am not who I say I am. I'm not God if I don't keep my word. In Jeremiah 1 and 12, it says, you, you have seen for I'm ready to perform my word. Other translations say, I'm watching over my word to perform it. So there's promises, and God wants to do those promises, but we receive them by faith. The fact that it's been purchased, paid for, is done. But our receiving, our receiving what's been done for us is by faith. Luke chapter 4, we find Jesus. He comes to Nazareth where he's been brought up. And as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. 
he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. A lot of times people will come and they're, they're, they're saying, pray for me, pray for me. Okay, well, what, what is it that you are praying for? Well, I'm praying for this. And here's typically my, my question. Well, what verse, what promise are you believing? Well, I'm just the Bible. Well, what promise are you believing? Well, none in particular. You know what you're going to receive? Nothing in particular. Right? Because God does chapter and verse. We'll say that again. God does chapter and verse. The gospel of Mark, 16th chapter, last verse, says God confirmed the word with signs found. He doesn't confirm your feelings. And he doesn't confirm what you think. He confirms the word. People say, you never know what God's going to do. Yes, you do. He's going to do exactly what he said. That's what God's going to do. He is watching over his word to perform it. He's magnified his word above all his name. So Jesus, the first thing he did is he found the place where it's written. And that's what you and I need to do. You need to put God in remembrance, the Bible says. Put him in remembrance of his word. You bring that promise to God. The promise that you're believing, the promise you have faith in, that God is going to do what he said he was going to do. So Jesus found the place where it's written. The spirit of the Lord's upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recover his sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. By the way, uh, he is quoting from Isaiah. And he says, this is the acceptable year of the Lord, which was the year of Jubilee, the year when everything that was lost came back to you. He, he did not finish the verse. The rest of the verse is in the day of vengeance of our God. Now, if he had finished that verse, it would have been judgment day. There is going to be a time Jesus is going to finish that verse, but it's not yet. He closed the book. He gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And this is, this is verse 21. I want you to catch this. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So this is what Jesus just said. He said, today, this scripture is true. And today, this scripture is true about me. That's literally where you and I need to be, get to with the promises of God, where we see that promise and we say, I believe that that promise is true and that promise is for today. And that promise is true about me. That's what Jesus did. He said, this scripture is true. And not only is it true, it's true today about me. In Philemon, little, little one-chapter book in, in uh, your New Testament, it says that the communication of your faith may become effectual. Literally, like be supercharged by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. 
the fact that you've been redeemed, the fact that there's promises that belong to you does not mean you are going to receive the promise. You got to acknowledge it's true and that it belongs to you. In fact, what, what uh, Paul writing to Philemon says, this is that you need to acknowledge what you have in Christ, who you are in Christ, the authority that you have in Christ, the promises that belong to you in Christ. They need to be acknowledged. There are many Christians that are never bold enough to take a hold of a promise of God and say, I believe this and this is true about me today. This belongs to me. That's where we have to be to receive those promises. Now, there's an Old Testament type that I want to show you here. So the children of Israel come out of Egypt and this is God's promise. He says, I have given you the land of Canaan. It belongs to you. I've given it to you. I promised it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and it is yours. No one will be able to stand before you. Go in, I am with you. So they send in 12 spies, and spies come back after 40 days. And they give this report. They said, we went to the land where you sent us, and truly it flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, I was watching constant negative news, and they said there's a depression, and I can't be blessed. <laughs> Nevertheless, the people in the land are strong. The cities are fortified, and they're very large. Moreover, I saw the descendants of Anak there, and the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we're well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land through which they had spied out, saying, now, notice, they gave a bad report. They didn't lie. They just disagreed with God. They said, hey, there's giants. There's walled cities. There's seven nations, and they're stronger than we are. Well, that was all true. But how many of you know you and God are a majority? And when God says, I'm with you, and no one will be able to stand before you, and I have given you the land, the land is yours. But they saw the enemies. Instead of seeing the greats, they saw giants. Right? And they're focusing on the enemy. They're focusing on the opposition. The land through which we have gone as a spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw there were men of great stature. There we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. And so we were like grasshoppers in our, in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. So God says it's a bad report. And what the, well, here's the interesting thing. Ten spies gave this bad report. Two gave a good report. How many know it's easier to believe the negative than it is the positive? We just live in a negative society. You know? if, if I were to say to somebody, hey, how do I get to Myers? They say, well, go out the parking lot, turn right, go down the first stop sign or the first, first red light. Well, it's green just as much as it is red. 
What are we going to do? We're going to focus on the negative. And that's what they did. So, is what God said. They certainly shall not see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. Now, when they rejected God's promise, God said, they rejected me. But my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. Now, here's what's interesting. There's roughly 2 million people Two said, let us go up at once and take possession. All except for two said, no, we can't. Everybody who did not believe God's promise died in the wilderness and never went in. The two out of two million who said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able, they went in. Everybody got what they believed. Everybody didn't get the promise. Was the promise for everybody? But not everybody got the promise. Somebody said, well, I know a Christian, and, and, and they prayed, and, and this is what happened to them. You know what? There's a lot of people that don't receive the promise. But God said, I'm watching over my word to perform it. He said, I've magnified my word above all my name. He says, I've already provided for you all things that pertain to life and godliness. Right? We can believe it, confess it, and go after it, or we can be like these. The Bible says this in Hebrews, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word that they heard did not profit them not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. God said, they didn't believe my word, and because they didn't believe my word, they did not receive. So here's how most people get their theology. I want you to imagine there's 10 people lined up right here. And we pray for 10 people. And then we go by and we say, did you receive your healing? Three people say yes. And 10, 10 people say, no, no, I don't feel any different. And this is how we get our theology. You say, well, God heals about 30% of the time. We have experiential theology instead of believing God theology. But what God wants us to have is not experiential theology, but believing God theology. Because all of the promises of God are yes. And all of the promises of God are amen in Christ. And you're in Christ and I'm in Christ and they belong to us. They belong to us. So they go in, the two, after everybody else dies with another generation. And so Joshua said it like this. So the Lord gave Israel the land which he had sworn to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it and dwelt in it. And the Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. Not a man of all of their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand and not a word failed of all the good things which the Lord has spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. When they believed it, all of, them came to, all of it came to pass. 
Now, when God said, you cannot go in because of your unbelief, because you've rebelled, because you believe the bad report, this is what the Bible says, that they got together and said, oh, we're sorry. Let's go up now and take possession. And God said, don't go. Don't go. I'm not with you. In verse 44, but they presumed to go up to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in the mountains came down and attacked them and drove them back. So they presumed to go. Listen, you can presume on the goodness of God. Listen, you, you, you can pray and say, God, I believe for 10,000 oil wells. There is no promise in the Bible for 10,000 oil wells. You know what you're doing? You're presuming. That's presumption. You need to find the promise. You need to find where it's written. They presumed to go up because they did not have a word from God. They just assumed that God was going to be with them. And a lot of Christians do that. They just assume presumption. God does chapter and verse. John 15, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire and it shall be done for you. If his word abides in you, you're taking that promise that God has given you. Um, I have to skip a little bit here. Let's go over to Hebrews chapter 6, beginning with the, the 12th verse. It says, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We're to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, what that is saying is this, that the moment you find that promise, doesn't mean it's going to manifest immediately. There's going to be a time of endurance, and it may be short, it may be long. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you, and in multiplying, I will multiply you. So after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, that's us, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath, by that two immutable things, in which is it impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge and lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. So the promises that you find in your Bible, all of them go back to this promise to Abraham, every one of them. And God, by two immutable things, said, I'm going to do this. First, he said, I'm going to do it, and it's impossible for him to lie because he's magnified his word above all of his name. 
And secondly, he swore by himself. So that you could say, without a doubt, without hesitation, I know positively, absolutely, God is watching over his word to perform it. That that promise belongs to me. And that through faith and patience, I can inherit the promise. Galatians 3, 29. If you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Psalms 89. My covenant I will not break nor alter the word that's gone forth out of my mouth. In Romans chapter 4, again, it's talking about Abraham and the promise. It says this in verse 17, as it is written, I've made you the father of many nations in the presence of God, whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Wow. So God says to Abraham, I've made you the father of many nations. How many children does Abraham have? Zero, all right? But this is God's promise. And God sees it is already done, even though it's not done yet. Now, notice what it says here. It says he calls into existence the things that do not exist. In other words, what you do when you begin to speak God's word is you're calling something into existence that is not there yet. And God calls the things that be not as though they were. I don't know if this illustration will help you or not, but we used to have a dog and a cat. I don't know. Again, I can't explain the cat except Jeannie likes cats. <laughs> All right. I hated that cat. It would get on my tractor and scratch the tractor. And it'd get on the seat and make holes with its paws. And I hated that cat. Right. I love that dog. I wish I had the picture. That dog would smile. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely positive. Would that dog smile? That dog would smile. She'd come up. She'd come. I'd call that dog. Right? And that dog would come and go. <laughs> now, now listen. I never called the cat. You say, why? I didn't want the cat. I wanted the dog. But the reason I called the dog was because the dog wasn't there. But I called it to come into my presence or existence. And when I'd call, the dog would come. God calls things that be not as though they were. But when God calls something that's not, it becomes. And literally, when you take a promise of God and you begin to call that promise, it's coming. It's coming. God said, I'm watching over my word to perform my word, to bring you that promise. Somebody said, well, you're, you're saying something that's not there. Yeah, but you're calling it. You're not saying it's here. That's why you're calling it. I didn't call the dog when the dog was there because it was there. And the same thing is true with the promises. He calls into existence the things that do not exist. And when you begin to confess a promise of God, you are calling into existence something that's not there yet, 
but you believe it belongs to you and you're speaking it and it's coming. So in hope, he believed against hope that he could become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. So before he has a child, God changes his name and now his new name is Abraham, father of a multitude. But he doesn't have any kids yet. But you know what he's calling himself? Father of a multitude. He's calling himself healed before he sees healing. And he's calling it in. He calls into existence the things that do not exist. Just like God calls into existence what doesn't exist, we call into existence what we don't see yet. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, nor did he consider the barrenness of Saren's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. He looked at situations, at circumstances in the natural, and in the natural, it seemed to be an impossibility. But he just kept his eyes on the promise and not on the natural situation. He didn't ignore the fact it was there. He just didn't put his focus, his attention on it. His attention was on God's promise that God's promise would supersede the natural, that the supernatural would overtake the natural. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced. How convinced was he? Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Now notice what it says, he grew strong in faith. How did he do it? Giving glory to God. He just kept on thanking God. God, I thank you, your word is true. I thank you that I am the father of a multitude. I thank you, God, that my descendants are like the stars in the heaven and the sand on the seashore. God, I thank you. You're watching your word and you're gonna perform your word and my child is coming. Woo! And you know what he did? He became strong in faith. Why? Because he focused on God's promise. The same thing is true concerning you and me. You grow. You, you notice it says he grew strong in faith. He wasn't strong in faith to start with. But he got strong in faith by focusing on God's promise and thanking God that that promise was true. The children of Israel had the promise to go into the promised land. They got to given it to them. Listen, they had to go in and dispossess seven nations, giants, walled cities. There was opposition to receiving the promise. Now listen, Jesus said to his disciples, fear not, little flock. Your father desires to give you the kingdom. God's not holding it back. But then he said this, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it, seize it by force. Now, which is true? God wants to give you the kingdom or you need to seize the kingdom? They're both true. God's giving, but the enemy of your soul, the devil, 
He stands in opposition to every blessing, every promise that God has for you. And you need to go in, just like the children of Israel, I need to go in and we need to dispossess the enemy. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9, resist him, steadfast in the faith. The Father gives the kingdom. However, the enemy withstands everything. In Ephesians 6 and 12, it says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and powers. The Bible says to fight the good fight of faith. Fight the fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life. You got to lay hold of that promise that God has for you. You know, we talk about the Bible. The Bible is the word of God. It's God speaking to you and to me. It's the will of God, and it is absolute truth. And we say the Bible has got the, gr the great answers to life's questions, and, and it is true. But the Bible also has the greatest questions. Let me give you a couple of them. The Bible says, what is your life? Think about that. What's your life? Somebody say, well, my life's my family. Somebody say, my life's a wreck. Somebody else might say, my life's my job. Somebody else would have the answer, well, my life's going nowhere. My life is, is my spouse, my kids. But the Bible answers the question. And the Bible says, what's your life? It's but a vapor. It's here for a moment and it's gone. You know, in the North Country where we live, it's cold in the winter. And you go outside and you breathe and you see your breath. And in two or three seconds, it's gone. And the Bible says, that's what your life is like. In light of eternity, your life is just like a vapor that's here and it's gone. Another question from the Bible, what will the end be? Someday your body will wear out and die. And when that happens, what is the end going to be? Well, the, the Bible says it is a multiple choice, but it's only two choices. It's A, I'm going to spend eternity with God in fellowship with him in a place we call heaven, or I'm going to spend eternity separated from God in a place of torment that's called hell. A third question, a jailer comes to a man named Paul and says, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And Paul answers that question and says that you need to believe on and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. In other words, there is no other Savior. There's no good works I can do. I can't pray enough or give enough or fast enough. Nothing that I can do can make me right with God. But Jesus came, died on a cross, shed his blood, and paid for your and my sins. And the Bible says, to as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to be the children of God. So I want to pray with you, and I want to lead you in a prayer to receive Jesus. And if you will pray this prayer from your heart, when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. So I want you to repeat this, make this, these words your own, say, Oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again, victorious over death, over sin, and over the devil. And I give Jesus all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I receive Jesus as my Savior, as my King, and I'm going to live for him every day. I thank you. You've heard my prayer. 
I'm forgiven. I'm a part of your family, a part of your kingdom now, today and forever in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you just prayed that prayer from your heart, God heard that prayer, and you're right with God. Now, I've written a book to help you keep on growing spiritually. I want to send it to you absolutely free of charge, and all the information is right there on your screen. Thank you so much for being with us, and God bless you. If you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Dwayne, congratulations. You're on the path to one of the best decisions of your life. You need more info? Our team at walkingbyfaith.tv is ready to answer your questions. Get your free copy of Pastor's book, Your New Life, just as he had mentioned. Visit walkingbyfaith.tv to have it mailed, download it there instantly, or listen to the audiobook. Find all these options on our app as well. Packed with practical advice, this book is your guide to living a life full of faith. Claim your free copy now. Instead of just witnessing the miracle, become the miracle. Partner with Walking by Faith and ignite the spark of hope in someone's life. Let your generosity be a beacon that guides them through the darkness. There are three easy ways to give. Text WBF GIVE to 1-888-364-GIVE. Your instant contribution sets ripples of hope in motion. Visit walkingbyfaith.tv give to explore your giving options or click the giving icon in our app. Make contributing a seamless act of love. Thank you for your unwavering support in spreading the message of hope and healing through God's word. Together, we can create a world transformed by the power of faith. Need prayer or want to connect with us? Simply scan the QR code to send a prayer request. Download our app, read our weekly devotional, and so much more. Have a great week and remember to claim the promises that have your name written on them. For all God's promises are yes and amen. See you next time.